Hey, Snake! I thought you were dead! Hey, hey, wait a minute. I, I don't want to cause any trouble. Just let me warn you about this first. So, warning. This movie review is going to contain adult language, mature situations, a badass Kurt Russell character, the far distant year of 1997, some really good tunes, a gladiatorial combat match utilizing trash can lids, and Donald Pleasant killing Isaac Hayes. Remember to like, share, and subscribe. Be very careful out there. Listen discretion is advised. Spark in Motion Picture Review, Episode 14, The Name's Pliskin. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Sparkin Motion Picture Review, Sparkin's podcast where we talk about new and recent and very old movies based on that one, that only the dodecahedron of movies. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? And I'm being joined today by actually one of my players from D&D and someone who actually is pretty cool because he is the cheer person of a cool con. Bonsoir. I am Stéphane Latour, right? Well, writing in haha no coming to you from quebec canada i helped to run otakuthon when we recently had our event thanks to everyone who attended and it was delightful to see so many people showing up at once my goodness <laughs> yeah and hopefully next year maybe we'll figure out a way to come up there and see it especially with everything going on i mean even if i have to go from well we'll see how that goes but that's neither here nor there but if you want to find out more about them uh you have a website, which is, I want to say it right. Nice and simple, otakuthon.com. That's O-T-A-K-U-T-H-O-N.com. Nice and simple. And for me, if you want to listen to any of our earlier episodes, we have tons of them because we have the Spyrokin Motion Picture Review, the Spyrokin Movie Review, the Spyrokin Mini Movie Review, the Spyrokin Manga Review, the Spyrokin Anime Review, and all this other stuff. You can find them at www.spyrokin.com. That's S-P-I-R-A-K-N. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and various other social media sites. Just type S-P-I-R-A-K-N in the search bar, and I'll guarantee you'll find us one way or the other. If you have any questions or comments or concerns, you can email me personally at Zan, that's X-A-N at Spyrokin.com. Tweet me at Spyrokin, and more importantly than that, just message me, and you'll get me one way or the other. And if you enjoy what you hear, support our Patreon, helps create more fun content for you to enjoy. And now, with that in mind, let's actually get to a movie that people have been waiting a while for because the last episode was a couple of months ago and this movie is one of those movies that i gotta say is a little crazy it's a little antiquated because it takes place in the far distant year of 1998 actually doesn't take place in 1997 i think 1988 is when the prison started and 1997 is when things happen you're absolutely right, because the war with China and the Soviet Union. Ah, uh, yes. That definitely fictional thing that will never, ever happen. Yep, definitely won't happen, because Soviet Union does not exist. Then insert picture of the Simpsons and must destroy capitalism with the Russians. <laughs> Just making a reference to Simpsons, I swear. We're not <laughs> plotting anything, promise you. So this movie is very unique in that it's a time gem taking place in a far distant time which no longer exists but it's also kind of prescient because so many things that happen in this actually you could be like oh i could see this happening now especially with a lot of all stuff (laughs) well we'll get to it but first let's get to some of the basics so this movie was directed by the great and possibly insane john carpenter this was made after halloween so it's after 1978 and it definitely feels like a carpenter movie have you seen a lot of his other films 
I unfortunately have not had the pleasure. I actually just uh, finished watching Escape from New York about 20 minutes ago. I took notes all the way through, which is part of why I've got I've got 1988 to 1997 written on the front page, and that's the only reason that that was so fresh at the top of my mind. But it is a film I've been meaning to watch for a while, and now that I've seen this, I think I'll go explore more Carpenter goodies. I will say the sequel to this is pretty much the same thing, except there's slightly better, slightly worse graphics. And on the West Coast. Yep, I am in, on the West Coast, definitely. <laughs> so, But like, we'll get to it. So next we have, this is written by John Carpenter and Nick Castle again, come working together. You got Deborah Hill and Larry Franco, no relation to James Franco as the producers. And then starring this film, we got a bunch of really fun actors going backwards. We've got Adrian Barbeau in this, who is not Sigourney Weaver as Maggie. And I got to yeah, say, she's much not Sigourney Weaver. My goodness. Like just it's a shocking resemblance. I'm not sure if it was the casting, the makeup crew, but that is definitely the vibe I got. I was like, oh, cool. I'm watching Alien. Wait, no, no, no. Hang on. <laughs> and I've got to say, she looks tough as nails and still hot for her time. She's someone that she's not a femme fatale. She's just someone that doesn't take shit from nobody. Oh, yes, and it's yes. cool to see such an interesting role from her because most people know her from Greece or from Mod or most of us who are animation fans. She was the voice of Catwoman in Betos. Oh, well, thank you very yep. much for your contribution, Miss Adrian Barbeau. And if you watch C-Lab 2021, that's who Captain Murphy wanted to become, the Adrian Barbeau bot. <laughs> oh, also the narrator for this was Jamie Lee Curtis. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That explains some things, actually. Yep, because they did this after Halloween. You have Ox Baker playing Slag, who I've got to say, um, as a scary, scary minion, I think he's a good goon, but... The way he went out. Oof. My God. What what incredible eyebrows, though. Like, if he had caught that nail board on the front of his face, it would have gotten caught in the mustache and Snake would be dead. Like, spoiler alert. He's not, oh, but yeah. all the same. So then we have Harry Dean Stanton, who is... A lot of people know him from some of the weirder stuff he's done, like Pretty in Pink or Last Temptation of Christ or Green Mile or Inland Empire. But I know him from Repo Man and Alien. Oh, Repo Man. Okay. Wait. Henry. Yeah, he's from alien yeah yeah he's an alien he's uh i forgot which one he died how he dies he dies kind of horribly he was the engineer in tech in uh in he's brett okay okay r.i.p brett yeah he dies in that movie as to your fate in this movie oopsie Well, it's say John Carpenter movies. Guaranteed everyone will die or <laughs> something will happen. Then we have Donald Pleasant as the President John Harker. And I got to say, Donald Pleasant, he's one of the standouts in most John Carpenter stuff. And everyone knows him from the stuff he does. You know, he was in Dr. Loomis in Halloween. He's a priest in Prince of Darkness, which we talked about in a long time ago in an earlier episode. And he's kind of this creepy Alex Jones meets creepy librarian, I think. Right? Yeah. That's very much his energy. Like a couple times when he's like dazed and confused, like, you know, he, when he's just been punched in the face or he's staring desperately into the middle distance and scrunching up his face, I was like, oh God, it's President Alex Jones. Please, no, please, no. And what happens to him is pretty messed up. Yeah. But he, yeah, it's pretty messed up. But you know what? He hatches from an egg at the start of the movie. And by the end of it, he's walking on his own two feet. So, hey, the progress. Yeah. Also, he does have a very, going Harry Potter, a very Dolores Umbridge or Cornelius Fudge feel to him, where he's he's kind of like a useless president that like said, yeah, he doesn't have to come back as long as we get the, the briefcase. He doesn't have to come back. 
Listen, the issue is that he's handcuffed to the thing that's important. So, you know, bring him back if you can. But but if you can't, we got to do that. And speaking of which, let's get to his subordinate, Lee Van Cleef, cowboy extraordinaire, the, the bad from Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and generally a pretty prick character. And this one, he's not the bad guy. He's actually support. Yeah, well, he's a bad guy, but he's not like the worst guy. He's like the bad guy who uh, motivates you to do better and uh, who's actually playing the role of Amanda Waller in this film. He is uh, police commissioner Bob Hawk, and he doesn't want to screw our main character. He actually is like, I think he respects our main character. Just he's got to do a job. He has to do his thing. Yeah. And he also, you know, fair dues, you, know, you cut off their escape by giving them a timer. You encourage them to come back to the edge of the city. And, you know, before you solve the problem that they're having, you ensure that they have what it is you're actually looking for. So I respect his mercenary attitude, but also if you don't treat your workers well, bad things happen. And really, that's the moral of this film. It is the moral of this film. And now the two other characters we got to talk about. First off, the sidekick to our main character, Cabby, Ernest Borgnine. You it's feel so bad good. for him. It's so good. I love him. When he shows when he's sitting down to watch a show and I just go like, oh, I hope you're important because I love you. <laughs> he should have made it. He should have survived. Uh, all right. He's such a good, he's a good actor. And for those of you who aren't, uh, who aren't familiar with him, he's the voice of Mermaid Man on SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> God, that probably would be his most prolific role at this point. <laughs> I mean, there's other things he's done from back in the day, like Mikhail's Navy. He's in um, Willard as a bad guy. He's in Poseidon Adventure. But the big thing is, of course, Mermaid Man Mm -hmm. as a crazy old man. And this isn't him crazy. He's he's young. It's the same way that Adam West is now like the mayor on Family Guy. It's just the most recent animated thing is that they've been in. That tends to be what gets typecast for the younger generation, at least. Yeah. I'm very much a part of it. I'm not going to, I just haven't seen SpongeBob as much, so I don't get that reference, but I appreciate that he's there and I, I love him dearly in this film. No, I get you. And I, I like that he is a character who's not just the, I'll do whatever you say. He does have some mercenary moments and he's competent. Not only that, but he has a life off screen. There's some implied stuff going on that gets paid off later. And it's just like, oh, cool. Cabby's living his best life. I love it. He is, and he does have a good life. And let's actually get to the villain of the piece, the Duke, Isaac Hayes. I was shocked when I heard he was the villain, and then watching him, he is scene chewing. Oh, yeah. Just like slow walking into a scene. God dang chandeliers on the front of his car. Like, that's uh, that's beautiful. Well done. Oh, yeah. Because remember, he's he's the Duke of New York. Yes, indeed. Royalty. And he acts like it. He is completely confident in everything that he's doing and he has a plan and the plan well will it work Mm, who can say he is the villain of this piece and there is a sequel so i don't like his odds but we'll see and then last and certainly not least let's get to our main character kurt russell in one of his most iconic roles as lieutenant sd snake pliskin call him snake Yes, do call him Snake. And also, most people do recognize him, which I appreciate. And one character that doesn't recognize him? Surprising. Very surprising when that happened. I think, yeah, I'll I'll bring it up when we come to that point, but there is one specific character who doesn't recognize Snake as Snake on site, and I'm like, hmm, that's an interesting choice. He needs to be briefed. For those of you who are unfamiliar with this character, he is a one-eyed badass who is highly decorated, 
and doesn't care for authority and everyone believes him to be dead yes and there's one other thing about him like i i was not familiar with snake plissken as such but he has inspired characters like solid snake from the metal gear series and yep. in a more recent game called bro force uh, you can play Snake Broskin, who is yep. definitely not Snake Pliskin, but very fun to play. I was expecting he, him to have a gliding cape all throughout this movie for that reason, and he never did, so I was very confused. And we're not talking about the incident that happened in Fresno. We're not talking about the incident that happened in Cleveland. No, we're talking about... Escape from New York. Yes. This is a very unique film that has been remade several times, but break it down... In the far distant year of 1997, New York has been turned into a maximum security prison to deal with a 400% increase in crime. There's a 50-foot wall around the island. All the bridges have been mined. The rivers are patrolled by helicopters, and all prisoners sent to Manhattan are sentenced to life sentences unless you want to kill yourself. So you have two options. And going to a peace summit in Hartford, President John Walker is flying there on Air Force One. It gets hijacked by a bunch of gorillas, and the airplane crashes, and he has a very sensitive briefcase with some sensitive documents, and he escapes in an egg. In an orange <laughs> egg that is nice and ready for him to drop out of. He's His plane is taken down by the National Liberation Front of America. The NLFA, because America is very different now. A lot of things are illegal, things are not good, not at all like the current state in, in time. Current state of the states. Yes. No. Very, very different. Very, very different. Not as bad. Uh, in the sequel movie, it's even worse. It's like no red meat. No, no this, no that. Really? It's yeah. Been... No. I, hang on. Does anyone actually eat in this film? Chock full of nuts girl does before she gets taken uh, by Morlocks. Okay. So that's the moral of the story. Whoops. Don't eat. Like that. That's what will happen to you. All right. Yep, Morlocks will come. The airplane crashes into the Twin Towers. You could tell this is old. Mm-hmm. And then they go down to rescue the president and forgot about Romero. Romero shows up and uh, uh, Frank Doubles Day, who looks nuts. He's got a, a quaff of hair, I think. A very strong vibe, just like very unique. Comes out, he's got very unique energy. And you're like, ah, this is an important character. And turns out it's the lieutenant of the Duke. We love him dearly. And he gives them a very reasonable time frame to leave in their helicopters because the police are not welcome at the crash site of this president where the egg is hatched. The president is gone and there's no trace of where he might be. No, not at all. And to prove that he is not lying, he pulls out the finger of the president with the signet ring. Whoopsie. Actually, oh God, I didn't think to check uh, his hands at the end of the movie. Did you think to do that? I did not. I think, but I think that because his hand was covered in the, was wrapped up, I think they did cut uh, the finger off. These guys uh, would see that. Okay, okay, so, okay. So they're kind of screwed. They say, get out before we do something, and they can't do any more rescue attempts. They say, listen, we'll make a deal. He's like, get out, because the Duke has a plan. If only we had someone who was also introduced in the opening credits as being near New York when this happens. And that is, uh, that is Snake Plissken, Kurt Russell, who's been sentenced to life imprisonment after robbing the Federal Reserve in a deleted scene, which is really bad with bad robots. Yeah, which, let's face it, like, go for it, man. If you can get away with it and everyone knows you by your name, Snake, then please do whatever the heck you like. So the police commissioner in charge of Liberty Island, which is now the deportation zone of the United States, pretty much offers Snake a pretty decent deal. The deal is 
he's going to give him a full pardon for everything he's done because Snake has tons of skills and he just has to get back in 22 hours for a specific meeting to release this audio cassette which has the proof of thermonuclear fusion and i'm just like whoa really you got you're flying nuclear fusion across the country you have exactly one copy of it like did they kill the scientist who made this is that why this is important like why is this specific tape so important probably they say snake will do it we'll get the pardon if you bring back the president in time for the summit and then he goes what and they're like uh shut up snake you know what he's the president of I love that. That that's one of my favorite scenes, just because the back and forth between them, because w- they both know they're gonna they'd screw the other over immediately, and eventually they they armor up Snake, and then they say, okay, well, listen, there's a bunch of viruses on the island. You gotta get inoculated. I don't like needles. It'll be a second. Don't be a baby. And turns out it's not not inoculation. It's a hidebu. The size of the needles. Good God. It's just like. It's like taking two air pumps, pressing them against his neck and going, ah, excellent. Now you're inoculated. Aha, but wait. <laughs> In the sequel, they do it much better. It's just a scratch on his hand, and that's the virus that makes him sick. That's all it is. Okay. A lot easier. Like you said, I'm sorry I, I, sorry I interrupted. It wasn't actually a virus. What was it? Uh, it's a micro-explosive that's going to blow off his head in 22 hours unless it's neutralized. But the, but it won't be neutralized because until the layer's removed one hour before it has well, to go off. So that's cutting it really close. Yes, indeed. Actually, 15 minutes before the 22 hours. So technically, as soon as that timer reaches 15 minutes, he's in the danger zone. And if he doesn't get x-rays all over his neck by then, he's got a problem. So at this point, I would just say, you know what? Find a hospital. You've got a good life going on. You could eliminate that problem real early. If you know how to use it. That is true. They tell him to go there. They line him up. He gets to use a stealth glider and a very good CG. Actually, it's a model and CG scene, I think. That makes sense. I feel like a lot of the backgrounds in this film are matte paintings, especially when they're like standing against the background of the sky, looking stoically into the distance. And I oh, really yeah. love the wireframe glider stuff. Like having been in a glider myself and having like flown one around a bit, I just appreciate the vibe of it. I appreciate that they're giving him a plane that will get exactly as far as he needs to go. And because of the bomb in his neck, he's not going to want to go anywhere else. And in order to land safely in the city, he's not going to pick Grand uh, Central Park. Where is he going to go in New York to land a plane? Again, the same place that was bombed, the Twin Towers. Oh, goodness. Excellent. So two planes strike the towers, and then... And then when the crazies show up, which are essentially the Morlocks, the plane falls off, and he's like, okay, I'm kind of screwed now. Mm, Fast forwarding a little bit, but yes, a very dramatic scene where he lands the glider on top of the tower and slowly rumbles towards the end of it where it's saying 85, 80, and then finally at 15, he launches an anchor into the ground, nearly hangs off the end and infiltration. Very very cool sequence. It feels very solid snake-esque. And the rest of the movie is him going through, trying to find the president, making some new friends and old friends and dealing (laughs) with the evilness that is the Duke. Duke. The Duke. It gets to some interesting points in this. Well, Before you saw this, have you ever heard about this film? I've heard of the film, yes. Again, because, say, for example, in Metal Gear, there's a reference to an alias that uh, Solid Snake has had at one point that was Iroquois Pliskin, because Snake Pliskin, and specifically a reference to Escape from New York. So I knew of the film, I knew a general plot synopsis of the film in which uh, Kurt Russell escapes from New York, and I had an impression of what his guns looked like because of the excellent video game Broforce. But beyond that, I hadn't really known much about it. I appreciate its place uh, in pop culture and as this weird little film that uh, is all about extracting the president from New York City. 
It's one of those, the president has been kidnapped. Are you a bad enough dude to save the day? Yes, as opposed to all the war on terror things where the president is missing. And now let's go do some war on terror stuff until we get him back. In this one, they're just like, yeah, no, just be a bad enough dude and everything will be fine. It's the 80s, baby. Nothing can go wrong. And it's horrible. The movie shot all in the dark, even though it's 24 hours. It's all in the dark. (laughs) No daylight at all. I guess it's because they couldn't have any official free places to film the movie. I mean, they filmed in St. Louis and they got permission to shut off the electricity for 10 blocks at a time at night. Yeah, So you get to see all the important parts of New York as pictured through the city. Uh, So specifically, you get to see the underground area lit in red of New York. You get to see the overground area lit in green of New York. You get to see the alley where a lot of people with bats hit your car of new york so you know like all the all the tourist attractions all the places you want to go including the twin towers thank goodness and the random train yard where some guy's gonna shoot you with an arrow goodness yes i initially thought that they were all like harpoon guns like i will say the guards they have these weird long overly extended very thin guns that i just figured were just very inconvenient rifles that they were holding at attention very close to prisoners for some reason but they're all crossbows they just use crossbows on this island? It makes sense because they weren't armed. Most of them were given, they weren't trusted. They just said, okay, here's your stuff. You're on your own and you could do whatever you want as long as you're on this island. So have fun. And then that's why Brain is so important. So Brain is Harold Brain Hellman, former associate of Snake who screwed him over on a job. And he mm-hmm. survives because he's really smart and he makes weapons for them and makes gasoline for the last cars. Yes, he does. And unfortunately, Fresno Bob, who died before this movie happened, was betrayed by Harold Hellman, a.k.a. Brain. Very sad. Very, very sad. Yeah, it's funny that anyone who calls him Harold, he gets really pissed off about. (laughs) Which is unfortunate. You know, like uh, people keep not calling Snake Snake and then people keep not calling uh, Harold by his preferred name. There's a lot of people being called by their preferred names in this film. And I just think that's something to admire. It is. You know, saying something now, especially now with everything with names and pronouns. God's above, yes. I mean, look, Snake's been doing it for decades, so come on, guys. We can we can figure this out. True. But he also messes with people with it, especially at the ending. But but seeing how he's set himself up is pretty good. He has pull. It's just he doesn't want to screw over the Duke until Snake lies completely. But Snake is unscrupulous. Well, when Snake is sent in, he's given 22 hours and a tracker to find the president. And the president's tracker is in an armband which has unfortunately been put in the red light underground section of New York and attached to someone who is clearly not the president. Fortunately, Snake has a radio. He's able to call in that this is not the president and very obviously use a radio in front of everybody constantly, uh, which is why I think uh, the codec was such revolutionary technology when it was introduced in the late 90s. It's unfortunate they still didn't have it by that point. They still had to use very big radios to get any signals out of New York. Kind of uh, insane radio. <laughs> My God, yes. Just an incredible brick. Just You get to see where he puts everything on his person, and as the movie goes on, he gets jostled, things get dropped, things get stolen. But he always keeps his pants, which, uh, excellent work, Mr. Snake. But yeah, after the tracker's gone, he needs to find an alternate means to find the president, because who can say exactly where he is? Fortunately, Cabby knows about Brain, and Brain knows about the Duke, and the Duke has the president. So A leads to B leads to C leads to Train Yard. Yep, and then we found it's a trap. And the Duke ends up capturing Snake and makes him go into a death 
match against his champion in a gladiatorial combat. Kind of cool. And then it just ends where they get the president, they run off, and they have to escape. And it gets very bad. It becomes a race across one of the bridges with tons of bombs on it. And they hijack Abby's car. They're starting to drive it across the mined bridge. There's the Duke's car being driven by the Duke with chandeliers at either end of it, following them across. And we know this bridge is mined, but fortunately, Brain has experience from someone who's been across the bridge and said where all the mines are. So he's got a map. The Duke is just furious in following them. And thus the climax of the movie approaches. Unfortunately, they hit a mine because Brain isn't perfect. He's not, he's too smart for his own good. Then they separate and then Brain steps on another mine. The first mine takes out Cabby and his cab. Rest in peace. Which, and yeah. suspiciously well cut in half. Are mines meant to like just neatly chop cabs in half? I guess they're special chopping mines. God, I hope so. Although none of the other cars on the bridge are chopped. So maybe they hit the one experimental chopping mine. And unfortunately, once the cab died, Cabby also died. Rest in peace, Cabby. Fortunately, they Which still have the map, strange. and if they run across the bridge and take follow all the directions from Brain, they'll be fine, right? Maybe. But of course, you have the Duke chasing after them, and the Duke has all of Snake's old weapons, including the Mac-10, and that gets into a big fight. And who takes out the Duke? Is it is it our protagonist? I don't know. Is it? I feel like he was hanging on the wall at the time and very concerned about being aimed at. In fact, a mysterious hand. As like First, the president is lifted up the wall by a crane. Then the Duke uses the Mac-10 to murder the two guards who are on top of it, watching the people who are coming across. So when the rig is lowered again, Snake grabs on. He's halfway up the wall. And just as the Duke is aiming his sights on him, the machine stops pulling him up. He's hanging on the wall. He's vulnerable. And just as the Duke aims his weapon, who should appear on the wall but... The president saying, A number one, you're the Duke of New York. The Duke. It's sort of an ironic echo of an earlier scene where the Duke shoots oh, he, at him with a Mac-10 and he's made to say, you're the Duke of New York. And he just shoots him, kills him. And then fortunately, uh, he extracts Snake. Snake, he, Snake does manage to get out. They do rush towards a car. And you can see the doctor from the beginning who put the bombs in his neck as well as his boss, uh, the man who is in charge of this prison. He approaches them. He's shouting like, get this out of me. And the hawk where's is the tape? Saying, the tape. And Snake goes, here's the tape, and you know, just slaps the tape in his hand, and then, boom! They nuke his neck, so now he has neck cancer, but that's not the worst thing that could have happened to him this evening, honestly. That is true. I mean, a lot happened tonight. He's got to relax a little. But now the United States has the tape, and now they can do a broadcast to the meeting in Stockholm to make sure that all is well. And while they're prepping the president for this meeting, shaving, making him look a little cleaner because he has been tortured for the last 22 hours, Snake rolls up and he just asks for a minute of the president's time. Just one minute. Because the president offers him whatever he wants. I'll reward you however you want, uh, Mr. Pliskin. You just want a minute of his time. He asks so the- my feels about everyone who died saving his life. So the president who's sitting down in a makeup chair being attended to by five different people, half his face is being shaved or else wrapped in white cream for some reason. Just very odd. Like half his face is being made up with like foundation and stuff. Half his face is being made up with shaving cream while someone very delicately balances a razor while he's talking. And I'm just like, I'm not sure it's a good idea to talk while someone's shaving you with a straight razor. But yeah, skin wants just a few moments of your time, Mr. President. And just ask him, how do you feel about everyone who died here today to save you? And it's a very milk toast answer. And just like, oh, you know, they died for their country. Oh, good job. Good job. Well done. Well done, everyone. And unlike what you expect, Snake really doesn't do anything. He just sits there, 
smokes his cigarette, throws it on the ground, and then just walks away. And then as he's walking away, Hauk stops him and reminds him, you said you were going to kill me when we met. You're going to do it? Snake is just like, maybe later. And so Hauk is like, but you know what? Why don't you come work for me? You'd be a great deputy for us. But we could do great things together, Snake. And of course he says, call me Pliskin, walks away. Because that's not how Snake rolls. Snake is no longer a lieutenant in the military. He's no longer a hero. He's just a guy who you stay the hell away from. He's just a guy with a night patch who had a Mac-10 and now doesn't have a Mac-10, who had a radio and now doesn't have a radio, who was walking away without any regular tapes in his pocket that anyone should be worried about. Nope. And then at the end, President gives a speech. This is for the summit because I'm not able to be there, but I will now release this to the world as a, a offer of peace between us and our fellow nations. And it's not the tape. Snake switched it with uh, Cabby's cassette of Bandstand Boogie. So they play the Bandstand Boogie and world peace ensues, we, ass- we assume, because Snake Pliskin breaks the other tape that just contains nuclear fusion. No reason to keep that around now that the boogie has brought on world peace, most definitely. Most definitely. He hasn't been made a fool of. If I was a president, I would like get him back here. Yep. Unfortunately, the tape's destroyed and it's a bit too late. And, you know, honestly, if you tried to catch him at this point, I think they'd have some trouble with it. Oh, I also wanted to mention the only character that doesn't like, you know, Cabby sees Snake briefly in a theater goes, oh, my God, that's Snake. You're Snake. Oh, my God, I love you. Aren't you supposed to be dead? You know, he's got this whole backstory going on and literally everybody in the film knows who he is, except the Duke. The Duke has him up against the wall. Doesn't have any idea who he is, but as soon as the name comes up, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I heard you were dead. It's just the, I, I found it strange that the Duke was the only person who didn't recognize him on site or had any, any idea of who he might be beyond that. I see the Duke is just a guy who's too in his own headspace to care. He doesn't care about the little people. He doesn't care about others. He just cares about himself and his plan. So he doesn't need to know, but he heard of Snake. So he's like, when he heard, he's like, oh, you're a troublemaker. But besides that, he doesn't care. Yeah, and I, I will say I appreciate that a lot of people in this movie communicate with each other through one-liners or very gruff, very one-liners that are chewed on. We mentioned like what president before, but there's also car trouble when there's a mercenary hiding in the hood of the car that they're going to be using to make an escape. Just lots, lots of delightful, juicy 80s content here. Oh, yeah. Overall, well executed. The acting isn't great, but it's just a fun movie. And just it's so subversive because Snake is such a great antihero. He doesn't give a shit. If they didn't blackmail him, he wouldn't have gone in. They had to literally put a bomb in his neck or else he would have flown the glider to Canada. Not that he would have gotten that far. It is a glider. He might have gotten like just off the coast of uh, north, just off the coast north of New York, maybe at best. More likely, he would have hit one of the walls. Uh, very unfortunate for him. But, but that's uh, unless he was able to get a good wind current. But then still, what's the deal with Canada? Is Canada protecting itself? They don't really talk about the rest of the world. The only place they talk about really, besides the U.S., is China, Soviet Union, and some of the other places. Actually, didn't they say he had like a jet glider or something? Maybe that's how he would get out. <laughs> I want to look, rewatch it. The thing is, sad thing is, this was on HBO Max for a while, then it got taken off HBO Max. Now you have to hunt for it. Yes, I, I had to pay Amazon, our dear overlord Jeff Bezos, uh, $5 for the privilege of watching this delightful movie. But you know what? It's entirely worth it. I appreciate it. The content of the film. Same here. I paid five for it and it still holds up, I think. Yeah, it's a good action romp stem to stern. It's got a clear objective. You go in, get president out. Bad things will happen along the way to complicate your path. 
eventually you'll have a shirtless fist fight with somebody. I'm like, oh yeah, Metal Gear. I can see it. This is Metal Gear happening. And when you look at Snake and you see him and you compare him to all of Kurt Russell's other roles, it's such a departure from his other roles before this because he was the Disney kid. This is the movie that made him an action star, really, because he had done things like the one and only original family band, the computer wear tennis shoes, Charlie and the Angel, and then Escape from New York. Oh, I appreciate it. And you know what? Good on him. He carries this role well. I appreciate the general vibe he gives off, the quiet confidence, the grumbling approach, the excellent snake tattoo that is on his lower body once his shirt is uh, ripped off and uh, we get to see everything that's going on underneath. It does not get messed up or bloodied, even though he gets beaten and shot and stabbed. Which is very strange because they're not shy with blood in other parts of this movie. There's a specific character who gets run over and, uh, you know, they're not shy about showing the blood there. They're not shy about a lot of types of damage that that can happen to a person who happens to be too close to bullets or to spiky objects or to being thrown through the floor. Yeah, it, it does not shy away from blood or guts. And I think best death. If we're going to that and with Foley art and just the visuals, I still think the best death is slag just because nail board to head. Oh, God. Like when they when they go into a gladiator arena and they're like, here's our big guy. The advantage of a big guy is that he can take good amounts of blunt damage. So they start him with clubs and I'm like, okay, makes sense. You're going to have him fight a guy. You're going to have him fight snake. You're going to have him beat him to death with the club. Nice and easy. Maybe he'll take over with a martial arts move or he'll pull out a leg sweep because he's special forces. But no, the club round ends and then they pull out the knife bat, the, the, the fucking nail bat and garbage can round. And I'm like, oh, you've, you've made a mistake. Uh, Nail bats are not a blunt weapon. The big man is vulnerable to this. Eventually things will end badly for him. Like don't don't bring piercing weapons to a fist fight if you want your big man to use all of his big man powers. And it's not even in the front, it's back of his bald head right there. Whack. It's very upsetting. Fortunately, none of his uh, beautiful facial hair or delightful eyebrows were ruined in that final blow. So that's immortalized, you know, until the scavengers get to him. We do see a few rats in this movie. Shout out to rats. They are very good. Yep. The rats are creepy and large. And they, they that's the only animals you see in this movie. Besides <laughs> humans. Rats and them. There's nothing else. And this you don't really see how they people live. You see some elements in the world itself. Just you the, get to see the migration. S- At some point they hit on like uh let's see, after well, while Snake is on the hunt for more things to look for and before uh a woman gets dragged through the floor. You get to see this weird guy who's using a tire iron to bang on sewer grates in a rhythm. And then you get to see a migration of people moving not quite the way people do. And that's just a delightful set dressing where as long as you run with the herd, they won't notice you. But as soon as you do anything wrong or you stand and eat something, like that's when they get you. As long as you don't eat anything, you're invisible to them. Which is what happened to the girl uh, in the chock full of nuts, which was a <laughs> restaurant that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> Oh, wait, like that that wasn't just something they made up for the film. Chock Full of Nuts is legitimately a restaurant. It used to be like Chock Full of Nuts was the coffee brand. And then there was a restaurant where you could get Chock Full of Nuts coffee and Danishes. So think Starbucks. Chock Full of Nuts coffee. But was it a hazelnut blend? Like, hang, hang on. I need to explore this lore now. Hang on. Chock Full of Nuts. The co- Actually, the coffee still exists. You can still get it. Chock Full of Nuts. Okay. New York roasted. Yes. It's, it's a New York thing. 
Oh, it's a New York thing. Okay, okay, okay. I was I was confused. I was like, has some sort of American brand not made it to Canada? Which you know, obviously, a lot of it's probably going to be. But dang, it's a it's a, it's a good brand. Parvi's like, I should get some and mail it to you. You could try it, <laughs> but then you'd be uh, like, it's not Tim Hortons. <laughs> I hmm. Should I? I mean, I'm going to say something a little bit heretical, but you know, Tim Hortons coffee is it's it's just okay. You guys like it, it's. It's, uh, it's what's, it's functional. It's, it works for what you need. It's, uh, if it's what people have, it's, it's nice to drink, but it's not particularly good. I don't know. Yeah. I'm uh, a coffee snob too. I, um, the coffee I drink is uh Caribbean coffee, which is just essentially espresso. <laughs> yeah. I think part of the issue is that I tend to drink coffee black. And when you drink coffee black, either the beans stand up on their own or they don't. And Again, Tim Hortons is a perfectly functional coffee and definitely works well if that's what you need. You're stuck in traffic and you don't have much time at the drive-thru. So you park, you walk into the store and everyone thinks the drive-thru is the only way to get coffee. So they're all stuck out there while you get to the counter immediately. <laughs> that's sad. When you're waiting for coffee, I just make it at home. It's a lot easier. It's cheaper. Wait, the signature nutted cheese sandwich made of cream cheese and chopped nuts on dark raisin bread. Huh. That's. Yeah, that, that's just good branding. Okay, well, well done, chock full of nuts. Uh, today I learned. <laughs> I mean, besides the quote unquote theatrics at the theater, you didn't really see much else of the world except for you see where Brain lives, which is in the New York Library, in the mm-hmm. library, and then in Grand Central Station, you have where the Duke lives. And that's all you see. You don't see if there's a market, you don't see if there's anything else. And the, the sequel, Escape from LA, this isn't a full, we're not going to review that now, but they actually expand on a world. You see all the little elements, like here's where people go for food. Here's where people go for this. You don't mm. see that here. It's just kind of, it's a thing. Yes. As someone who's recently been running around a convention center and making sure that everything's fine, it is very important to stop and eat and drink regularly. And yeah, it did seem like maybe they have an entirely other person based diet or other things happening along those lines, but somehow they made gas. So that's nice. And also on the subject yeah. of the theater, shout out to the best name I saw in the credits, Lomone Spectacular. <laughs> oh, yeah. And second best name, Dick Warlock. Well done, Dick Warlock and Lomone Spectacular. And what did they do? Well, you have to see the movie to find out. Indeed. See if you can find them. Yeah. So this movie is, so overall, besides the world building, this film's well done. Was there any scenes that stuck out to you or scenes that you thought were terrible? Scenes that stuck out to me. I will say that when they have Snake shirtless on a table and he's just struggling and looking around, like, I I didn't really, I didn't really feel the vibe of that scene. I didn't really get a desperate energy from it. I didn't really get the image, the impression of like, oh, I'm a prisoner and I'm in trouble. It was just more like, oh, I'm here around me. I guess the camera would better move around. But when they're doing things like approaching the train where the president is being held and you can see like Snake is sneaking onto the train in the background and uh, Brain is talking a good game along with Maggie to distract the guards at the front, the way that the camera walks after them and it's just like actually part of the scene where things get revealed and people are kind of in and out of focus, people are moving around the frame, it, it feels very organic. This is a world that despite... Not making much sense on a uh, logistical or a food growth or a, a lot of other senses. It does feel lived in. Like almost immediately, there's people moving around in the background. Stuff's going on. 
people are living a life that doesn't involve food or bathrooms outside of the frame. And you know what? That's most of Star Trek. So who am I to complain? And lived in worlds make it so much more realistic. And you could buy that at that point. Also, this, I mean, there is the scene with the, uh, as you said earlier, the alleyway of bats. It's just, <laughs> why? Just why? That's the scene where it's like, everything else, I'm like, I can buy it. I can buy it. That scene, just why? It's just like, hey, we're going to live here. And just if someone shows up, we're going to hit them with bats. Why? Just I because. mean, I appreciate the fact that like the, the car that they steal is a station wagon. Like, so um, when the when Brain and Snake and Maggie leave the library just before the Duke shows up, Snake Grand Thefts Autos, one of his motorcade, because, you know, the Duke has a motorcade. He has chandeliers on his bumper and he has a motorcade. That means that you're winning in uh, post-apocalyptic hellscape New York. But the car that they steal is a station wagon that has like wooden rods over the windows instead of windows. And that's like, oh, okay. So this isn't a windscreen so much as an other stuff screen. I wonder what sort of other stuff it's meant to. Ah, here we go. (laughs) Just an entire scene with people swinging bats at the outside of it, throwing bricks or whatever detritus they can get their hands on, going down this huge colonnade of people on Broadway, including one impaled head. So uh, they're using the same tactics as Vlad Depeche. But since it's always nighttime, it's harder to see where there's impaled heads. But there's nothing wrong with impaled heads. Oh, no, no, no. There's literally nothing wrong with impaled heads. In fact, that was going to be the Duke's plan for Snake. Uh, Before the fight, he said, the biggest biggest man will lead us out of New York from the neck up. (laughs) That was a great line. Isaac Hayes, is it a shame he went nuts? He's such a fun actor. He was having so much fun doing this movie. I think he's my MVP for it, for this movie. I mean, I love Kurt Russell in this. I think it's one of his best roles. But I think that Isaac Hayes just he's chewing so much scenery. It's like you could see the chew marks on the screen whenever he's on. Yes. It's just delightful gentleman. Beautiful stage presence. He walks in. He owns every scene that he's in because he is the Duke of New York. He is that Duke of New York. And was there any actor you thought was the above and beyond? An actor that went above and beyond. Like I've I've said it before. And I will say it again. I dearly, dearly, dearly love Cabby. Uh, Ernest Borgnine just was so was such a moment of wholesome just life inside of the city. He gets the plot MacGuffin, the big tape at the end by trading his hat to the lieutenant of the enemy guy. And I was just like, oh, that's a little bit of scene dressing that's going on. I appreciate that this is happening. And I appreciate that the best character is here to drive them around. And I also appreciate the fact that he's got a survival instinct because as soon as the Duke shows up, Cabby goes, yep, nope, I shouldn't be here. Goodbye. <laughs> uh, he's a coward, but he's smart. And that's uh, something about him is that he is someone who he thinks is self-interested. And I like that. Yep, he's well done. Look at balance between uh, self-preservation instincts and foolhardiness. And uh, I, th- I appreciate that he's... Uh, He's here. He's there to drive his cab. And up until as long as the cab lives, so does Cabby. So maybe it was his phylactery or something. It, he probably was a lich. <laughs> it makes it makes perfect sense. He probably That's was probably a lich. so pleasant. <laughs> oh, I, I want to make that now. And like in, in, not in hero, but like in uh, some in cyberpunk, he's a lich. But his lich is phylactery is the car. I mean, if it's just like. I don't know. I've been, I've recently been listening to a lot of the Dresden files. So, you know, there's uh 
there's a very there's a very important character in it who is a vampire and who ends up yep. at some point grazing by like tr- doing people's hair instead of uh, being a succubus. And I don't know, I just kind of get that vibe. Like if you get a lich who is a cab driver who just uh, it intentionally takes a little bit longer to get where he needs to go than he necessarily should, just in order to suck out that extra little bit of juicy life force. Like that seems like a fair trade. Just drive a de- just drive a discount car. The car is basically instructable because it's your uh, because it's your phylactery. And as long as no one catches on, who's going to stop you? You got to make it a part of the, the the car, which will never be gone. Like the the raid, not the radio, like the like the inside horn or something, which won't break. Alternatively, make it make very it... bold. Make it the fuzzy dice hanging off the windshield. <laughs> no one would think of that. No, everyone would be like, ah, they're far too soft. That's not where I would keep my soul. And then they're like, ah, that's how they get you. (laughs) That is how. That's a smart, smart move. And you're giving me horrible ideas for new games. (laughs) Uh, I mean, considering that there's an entire gang of angry mascots that exist in a world because I decided I was going to play Gritty. uh, Oh, yes. Any terrible ideas are just interesting roleplay scenarios that haven't happened yet. <laughs> oh, oh, definitely, definitely. I've got some. I've had some interesting ideas for that. All because, in all, because one of our one of the players in our game decided to quit. I've created a horrible cyborg monster that's going to hunt you all down. All because he said I want to change characters. Yep, and you know what? Fair. Uh, former former characters become new plot lines, whether they want to or not. Well, so we have that, have that soundtrack. It's okay. It's made by John Carpenter. It's very synth. I love, synth. This, yeah, I love the synth so much. Like when the synths start and I'm just like, oh, the 80s. Mm, yes, let it wash over you. And I love the theme of this. Happening, like, also, like whenever there's a fight scene happening, like when he's pressed against the train, the sort of boom, tsh, boom tsh, that starts happening. It's very, it's very like, how how could I say this? It's very, it feels very embodied, even though it's like synthetic sounds, there's a part of it that feels very gritty. Like it's part of the atmosphere. Like the, the world is reacting to the fact that there's violence in it by being more violent while it's happening. It's its own element that is done so well by John Carpenter and Alan Howarth. I gotta say it's one of my favorite of his soundtracks. And this is one I would love to have the LP for just because it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's not just fun. It's it's iconic for what it is because it's yeah. memorable. Um, like just like the Halloween theme, the Escape from New York theme that dun 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 dun. dun that is it. And this movie, that music, and all of it has influenced so much. Like Neuromancer was inspired by the the scene with the warden, and you flew the Goldflyer over Leningrad, didn't you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just a lot of this film's soundscape just feels so it feel it feels it feels odd at first and then you gradually get used to it and it's like well that's just the whole film isn't it weird shit's gonna happen you're gonna gradually get used to it and eventually well, things are gonna get uh, more and more exciting while there has been tons of rumors of there being a remake i, I think they just dropped it officially I, I I would like to see a pseudo sequel, like with and have Kurt Russell just show up as a character, like as as Cabby maybe. 
Yeah, he can be, uh, you know, maybe they've got a new generation. It doesn't have to be Snake Plissken, but maybe Snake Plissken is still around. Like, ah, oh, Snake Plissken, I thought you were dead. And that line is evergreen because by this point, he's escaped from New York, escaped from Los Angeles. And by that point, he'd be quite old. So it could be another yeah. fun way to hook things in. And originally, it was Escape from Earth, which would have been a nice sequel, but he's too old now. So Escape we're from gonna... Earth, my goodness. <laughs> uh, I, I guess. Know. You know, that's the same way that uh, Fred, that Jason went. Jason went to space. And therefore, all things must eventually go to space. And everything does. Leprechaun went to space. Why but not Snake Plissken? Horror movies were so optimistic as to our ability to travel the stars. <sighs> I wish that happened. We're getting there. Slowly. slowly. <laughs> the old history that isn't just uh, corporatocracies controlling space travel and uh, delightful people. Flying rockets into space for no reason aside from to say that they've done it. Like, ah, come on, guys. Come on. Remember the other alternative futures we were supposed to have at this point? One was, oh, we're supposed to be colonizing all of space. Oh, we're supposed to be living all under the sea. Oh, we're interdimensional traveling. And I then, mean, of course... This, this keystone of this film is that nuclear fusion is like discovered and placed onto a very special tape, which is ruined by snake Plissken because he's mistreated by his boss, you know, like yeah. just out of spite because you've made, you've, you've told him, uh, you know, you've told him to essentially F off. So now he's going to destroy the nuclear fusion podcast and technology will never progress beyond that point. We assume. Because he doesn't give a shit and it's perfectly like, that's totally Snake. It's totally him. That's why he's such a popular character. That's why he's considered from Empire Magazine, number 29 in the greatest movie characters of all time. Man, like the, my, my last note when I was taking notes while I was watching this movie is just, no, nuclear fusion. <laughs> we Speaking told me to get this by 1997. What are we doing? Come on. <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, in real science for a moment, scientists figured it out. They did. They figured it out. However, they don't remember how to replicate it. They can't figure out how to replicate it. It's like, we did it. We can't do it again. Oh, God. Did, did okay. someone spill coffee on the machine? <laughs> Come like, on. Let me just do, do one of those uh, ridiculous uh, perpetual motion engines, like uh, put a bread, put uh, a toast, toast on the back of a cat with its butter side facing away from the cat so that the cat always lands on its feet, but it always lands butter side down. Therefore, perpetual motion like that was kind of the vibe that i felt that fusion was at but i mean i guess it's theoretically possible and did they manage to do it at a net gain of energy or did at a net new at just neutral or what like gods like. The whole breakthrough according to the science alert mm -hmm. so take it as you will they figured out how to get nuclear fusion self-sustaining nuclear fusion but they can't replicate it okay that does feel very dogate my homework, though. Yeah, apparently it involved tritium and deuterium fuel in the center of a gold-lined depleted uranium chamber and 192 high-energy lasers. So just all the fun. Okay, so Spider-Man 2 is right. Uh, it just takes a rare, a, a rare mineral, a bunch of lasers, and uh, some exotic materials. Pretty much. Okay. Well, I'm glad to science fiction is becoming science fact. Oh, and the fact is they said that they didn't want to create a black hole. It's like, ah, oh, so they didn't want to pull up Dr. Octopus. Gotcha. <laughs> I mean, was that really? I feel like that was more of a magnetic 
problem. Like, ah, the magnet is too strong and now the city is exploding because everything is ferromagnetic. That felt more like the vibe because like Dr. Octopus gets like the metal parts of a building end up getting him in the end, I think. When he gets hurt first time, yeah, it's, something hits him and fries the chip. And that's how Dr. Octopus escaped from New York up until uh, the sequel to the sequel to the Spider-Man sequel sequel. Yes, the new sequel sequel, which we talked about <laughs> a couple of months ago, which All actually right. is not a horrible sequel. But um, let's actually get to the, the fun part, and that is the actual rating for this episode. Now, for, since it's been a while, I'm going to reiterate our rating system. So at the bottom, if this movie was reprehensible, if it was horrible, if it was the worst thing since sliced bread, it would get our lowest rating of protests outside your local red box. So no one rents this reprehensible piece of shit. That means the movie's irredeemable, horrible, and truly garbage. Not in a fun way. It's just really, really bad. Something that you wouldn't show your favorite person. Next, we have our second lowest tier, which is going to be have it on the background while surfing the internet for stuff. Pretty much, you know, there might be a good scene that you'll watch on the internet on YouTube, but for the most part, you could do other stuff. Then we have worth watching it once in theaters, stream it, or on Blu-ray. So it's okay. Not great. Enough said. Then our second highest rating, which is borrow from a friend and never return it unless offered a jazz tape from Cabby. So borrow from a friend, never return it. It's worth your time really good, but there are some issues. And my main issue with this is that it is kind of difficult to get a hold of. Uh, you can't get it on DVD anymore unless you really look for it. And... Some stuff, some of the graphics don't age as well, but still a fun movie. And the acting is kind of atrocious, but it's that you gotta love it, atrocious. Yeah, like the what else? What I'll say for the CGI in this film, like you know, the the plane falling off of the twin towers was very wonky. Uh, you can tell that everything's very much composited into the image, but all of the wireframe graphics and like the old school uh, style green lines or bright colored lines in a black background that are slowly shifting around to show you a cityscape and stuff like that. Even if it seems outdated by this point, because of the technology we have, it's all remarkably consistent. Like they, if that, that technology is state of the art at the time, they keep using it throughout the film. They're not like embarrassed by it. They're always using this uh, weird wireframe technology little colored blips on a map and i i don't know that's just i appreciate that that's a part of their world building and if they had had our technology at the time they'd be using something different but that seems like an interesting snapshot of what the future would have looked like in the 90s for the people in seeing it from 1981 it is a very aesthetically pleasing visual for the cgi to be used and that's why i give it that rating but our highest rating which is movie didn't get is really really cool stream it now and I give this the bar from a friend. It's really good. It's just, you know, there are some issues with it. A couple of little minor things. It wouldn't pass the basketball test. Not <laughs> at all. And if you're looking for drama, this isn't what you're looking for. This is just a fun, dumb action movie. You watch some friends. Yeah, I think rather than borrow it from a friend, this is the kind of movie that I would rent to share with friends. But like only yeah. one. It's the kind of thing where I'd go, hey, everybody, we've got an evening sometime this week. Let's watch an older classic film. Let's watch Escape from New York. And people generally go, oh, Escape from New York. I think I've heard of that. Yeah, it has Snake in it. Oh, my God, from the Metal Gear? And then you get to go into a whole other series of things. Which is a fun little conversation to have. Precisely. And that's, 
That's pretty awesome. So if you've seen this movie, let us know your thoughts. Uh, you can email me at zanspirekin.com. Tweet me at Spirekin. Let me know your thoughts. If you like this, didn't like it, agreed, disagreed. So now before we officially go, remember, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate each and one of you. You're all awesome. When is next year's con going to be? Same time, same bad time, uh, same bad place? To be confirmed, but uh, we will be at the Palais des Congrès de Montréal sometime in August of next year is the current plan. In the event that's different, we will definitely make an announcement for it. But uh, yeah, this this year has been wild. It's we've number of people who come went from 25,000 in uh, 2019 to 29,000 this year. And uh, oh boy, <laughs> it, is, it is exciting and mildly terrifying. So we deeply appreciate everyone who showed up. It's such an honor to be part of that, uh, to be part of the community here in Montreal. And I would like to say thank you very much for inviting me onto uh, your podcast this evening. It thank you very much. Chat with you uh, outside of uh, saying what it is I'm going to do and rolling dice. <laughs> very true. It was a blast talking to you too. And now it's, we're not done yet. So it's that part you've all been waiting for. What am I talking about? I'm talking about that one, that only, the Dodecahedron of Movies. So how it works is we've got nine titles on here, and we're going to roll that one, that only, the Dodecahedron of Movie. Whatever number it lands on, if it's one through nine, it's going to be one of the uh, ones that you have uh, set up for me. However, if it lands on a 10, it is your choice. Oh, goodness. So let's hope that, uh, hang on, dodecahedron means 12-sided die. I'm not done yet. And if it's 11, it's roll again. And if it's a 12, uh, that is my choice. Interesting. So and now so I understand. Gonna... The, the rolls are complete. The rules are set. Rien ne va plus. Yeah, so now that this roll and see what we're going to get, and I'm excited because I have not brought this one out in a while, and I'm excited to see where you land. Uh, so let us see what this, with my foam dice lands on, and I'm hoping not for a weird one. Well, it looks like uh, Matthew McConaughey and um, Christian Bale are going to have some fun. Landed okay. on number one. <laughs> Rain of Fire. Yeah, so I get to see Stromdor, the Dominator, just get killed with a dragon. I actually have never finished this movie. I watched half of it. Well, uh, the first part is about a king, and the second part's about a fire. Am I am I close? <laughs> uh, kind of. It's a post-apocalypse with dragons. Hmm, <laughs> beautiful. You know that that is interesting. It's... I think you'll have fun with that. I think you'll have fun with a post-apocalypse with dragons, considering that, that is also uh, Shadowrun. <laughs> But I think that's it for this episode. Thank everyone so much. As usual, remember to like, share, subscribe. This is Stefan, and my favorite quote from the movie was, I have a deal for you. You receive full pardon for every criminal action you've committed in the United States. It was an accident. About an hour ago, a small jet went down inside New York City. The president was on board. President of what? And this is your host, Zan, for the Sparkin Motion Picture Review. And my favorite quote from the 1981 film, Escape from New York, is going to be... What did I teach you? You are Duke of New York. You're a number one. I can't hear you. You are the Duke of New York. You're a number one. Thank you guys for listening. Have a great one. We're Gonsville. Keep watching movies. Seriously, like and subscribe. It's good, man.
1988, the crime rate in the United States rises 400%. 1991, the United States police force is formed. 1997, New York City is a walled maximum security prison. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Kurt Russell. Lee Van Cleef. Ernest Borgnine. Donald Pleasance. Isaac Hayes. Season Hughley. Harry Dean Stanton as Brain. And Adrian Barbeau as Maggie. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. The ultimate adventure of escape and survival. You gonna kill me now, Snake? I'm too tired. Maybe later. I've got another deal for you. I want you to think it over while you're resting. I want to give you a job. We'd make one hell of a team, Snake. The name's Pliskin. 